Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Hannah Abrams and Avi Cooper. How are you doing, Hannah? I'm doing great. I saw a beautiful eosinophil yesterday. That may relate to what we're talking about today. And on I'm that excited. Note, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Avi? I'm good. The sun is setting. It looks like a giant eosinophil. Hmm. So... All right. So I, obviously we're talking about eosinophils. Um, so actually, let's On get right. Theme. Yeah. So let's get right to it. You know, more specifically, Avi, I think we're going to be talking about why eosinophils vanish from the blood after exposure to corticosteroids. So uh, yeah, what's going on there, Avi? Yeah. So the the question that we're going to look at today is why do steroids make eosinophils seemingly disappear from the blood? And it's so striking. You know, you see patients with these super high eosinophil counts, like the EMR is giving you three exclamation points, red <laughs> exclamation points next to the lab value because it's so high, like two to 3,000 eosinophils. You know, and within a day or two of steroid exposure, their peripheral eosinophil counts are either really, really markedly decreased or even undetectable. And I was just, I was so struck by this. And we see this sometimes too in patients who have pulmonary eosinophilia and will do a bronchoscopy and we just can't, and, and it'll be, they won't be there. And you're like, the steroids just cause these to melt away. That's amazing. So when you first started looking at, looking at this, what did you think was going on? So honestly, I just assumed that the eosinophils, they were somehow being poisoned by the steroids. And in my mind, it was something resembling like an exploding event. Like, you know, like, like the way that I imagine tumor lysis syndrome going, you know, and which is, you know, often we will induce by steroids too. And somebody with like a rip roaring lymphoma will give them steroids and then like their lymphoma cells are just exploding. And that's kind of what I thought was going on, but maybe it's more complicated. <laughs> well, before we get to the possibility of exploding eosinophils, it, it might make sense to talk maybe a bit more basic than just review for everyone what an eosinophil is. Can you Maybe can you do that for us? I can. So eosinophils are granulocytic white blood cells that develop in the bone marrow, but reside primarily in tissues. And they have numerous physiologic functions, anything from defense against parasites to immunoregulation, and they play primary roles in the pathogenesis and disease states such as asthma. And they're actually called eosinophils because they stain red under H&E staining. So how did someone discover that steroids made eosinophils melt away, where they just disappear from the blood? So in the 1970s, there was a group, a research group, that was led by none other than Dr. Anthony Fauci that looked at this question. And that was this was kind of cool to come across this paper, actually, and see his his name um, there from really some of his very earliest work. And they found that within four hours of steroid exposure, there was a marked decline in eosinophil counts in the blood. And so what's going on? What are the reasons for this? Uh, I, if within four hours, I would call that a pretty rapid decline. It is. And if you think about the three different types of potential mechanisms to explore, one would be destruction which we've talked about, but others would be decreased production of eosinophils from the bone marrow. And then the other possibility would be redistribution of existing eosinophils out of the blood and into tissues where they generally can't be measured and quantified. So before we dive in, do either of you have a guess as to which of these is the dominant mechanism? I was kind of like you. I, I always assumed they were being destroyed. I didn't have this more barbaric, uh, you know, they're exploding all across the body, but I, I just assumed something about steroids was 
killing him, but I definitely don't know if that's the answer, but that's what I had assumed. We're starting a band called the Exploding ESNFLs. I'm just informing you guys now. Yeah, I feel like redistribution would seem like it makes sense just because it's so quick. It seems like the only one that could be that rapid, but I have no idea. But I had no idea it was that quick. I mean, I knew that if I gave someone steroids like the next day, Mm -hmm. maybe the ESNFLs were gone, but I didn't realize until of Dr. Fauci's work was explained to me that it was within four hours. Right. And how often are we checking the differential again four hours later, right? <laughs> right. I, mean, I think that's the tempo of how we check labs. 24 hours later, they're gone. And I, I agree. I, I think I was really on, like like we had talked about, I was more on the side that Tony was thinking that like it's just they're exploding, but it definitely is more complicated. So let's start, I guess, splitting up as we do all blood problems, De- decreased production, Increase sequestration or somewhere else, and then destruction. So let's start with decreased production. So decreased production of eosinophils does seem to occur after exposure to corticosteroids, at least in vitro. And this was first noted in a study in 1985 that was published in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. And they studied how steroid exposure affected proliferation of different white blood cells. And they looked specifically at eosinophils, neutrophils, and macrophages. And they specifically extracted bone marrow progenitors of each of these cell types and exposed them to hydrocortisone and kind of to see what happened. And that was a pretty cool and very elegant experiment. And the hydrocortisone reduced development of new eosinophils, but it had zero effect basically on neutrophils or macrophages. So there definitely seems to be the potential for a production problem after exposure to steroids for eosinophils. Did the authors of that original paper in 1985 or, I don't know, maybe subsequent studies give any sense of what the mechanism of that is? So subsequent human cell culture experiments have shown that exposure to steroids does decrease production of cytokines that stimulate eosinophil growth and development, specifically IL-5 and GMCSF. And it also, steroids also seem to inhibit their cellular effects as well. So after exposure to steroids, the body makes less IL-5 and GMCSF, and the IL-5 and GMCSF that are made, that's going to be less effective and less able to impact cellular function and stimulate eosinophil growth. That makes sense. You know, but this isn't the whole story, and there's a very clear reason why. And so it, it turns out that eosinophils have a half-life in the bloodstream of about 18 hours. And at first glance, I'd say like, eh, no big deal, right? But that's actually far longer than the time it takes for eosinophil counts to drop after exposure to steroids, which as you recall from Dr. Fauci's study, it's as early as four hours. So something else besides decreased production clearly must be going on. Explosion. It's got to be explosion. And it may be explosion. (laughs) So I kind of have a wild story about this, which is how I knew that it was such a rapid amount of time is um, I, I once had an experience of clinically watching this occur. I had a patient who had dress syndrome and they were on daily prednisone. And it turns out that the duration of action of prednisone on sort of reducing the, the number of eosinophils in the blood, if you dose it daily, is about 18 hours, varies between like 16 and 22, depending on the patient. And so this patient was getting a daily dose of prednisone right around 8 a.m. But every morning their labs would come back and they would have a persistent eosinophilia and they would have the most awful itching, but only really at night. And so it turns out that they were getting 5 a.m. labs and the prednisone that was coming in at 8 a.m. was basically wearing off just before a.m. labs, probably around midnight. 
And then the eosinophil count was rebounding just in time for those 5 a.m. labs. And the, the wild sort of like proof that this was occurring was that we switched to BID prednisone. We just like halved in BID uh, and it went away completely the next day, like cured and the overnight itching was gone. You were checking a prednisone trough essentially. <laughs> yeah, which was the eosinophil count, which is just amazing. That's such a cool story. And Dr. Fauci would be so proud to know that his studies from the 1970s have relevance to the clinical practice in 2021. Yeah, all of these things that he found she. Um, anyway, okay, so we talked about decreased production, but now we know there's got to be something else going on. So our other two options are redistribution and destruction. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so let's examine redistribution first. And so by redistribution, we're specifically talking about to tissue compartments other than the bloodstream. And it's important to remember that the vast majority of eosinophils normally reside in tissues and not the blood. So redistribution out of the blood is sort of an accentuation of a normal equilibrium that exists for eosinophils between blood and tissue. And there actually haven't been a ton of studies on this in humans, but at least in animals, eosinophil redistribution seems to be a true effect of steroid exposure. And in an experiment in rats, giving them cortisol caused eosinophils to migrate out of the blood and into lymphoid tissues, such as the spleen and lymph nodes. And this was a really, really incredible experiment. They did a splenectomy prior to cortisol exposure, and that actually preserved the blood eosinophil counts compared to rats with intact spleens. And so essentially, this didn't give the eosinophils one of the main reservoirs for them to redistribute into, and it kind of blocked that effect by taking out the spleens. That's so cool. But you know, what's interesting about that in, is I see a lot of post-splenectomy patients. Well, I, I see a handful of post-splenectomy patients. I don't necessarily see a lot of them have, you know, persistent eosinophilia. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever observed that. I haven't myself, but I think the other, and this is the challenge with animal experiments like that in general, is it's not all going to be exactly the same. Of course. Those rat um, spleens. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think we we may have, I wonder if we have, you know, just other, other reservoirs and other places for the, for them to go. Right. Cause it's clearly not just the spleen. That's the tissue where eosinophils you know, migrate to. Yeah. That experiment seems to suggest that in rats, the spleen seems to be the main <laughs> <laughs> reservoir. <laughs> yeah. It's also like many of the patients who we see are like post splenectomy are, are often post like auto splenectomy. Right. And so right. they might still have some residual tissue. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, so what's the mechanism, um, or, or at least a proposed mechanism for this redistribution? Yeah, this isn't that well studied, but there's some recent literature, actually in rhesus macaques, that suggests that perhaps induction of a specific chemokine re- receptor, specifically CXCR4, is responsible for eosinophil homing actually to the bone marrow after prednisone, which would be another potential reservoir. I didn't see a lot about this, or if CXCR4 is also responsible for distribution to other reservoirs like the spleen and other lymphoid organs. I don't know, but it seems like induction of CXCR4 may be responsible for some of the redistribution that's happening. Cool. Yeah. One of the cool things is CXCR4 antagonists are used for some people pre-BMT to like pre-bone marrow transplant to mobilize stem cells out of the bone marrow. So it's sort of like the opposite effect. It's like kicking them out. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was redistribution and we talked about production. That leaves us with destruction. Is there a destruction component? Are you right? Are there exploding eosinophils? Yeah. So this is what Tony and I had assumed was happening. 
Um, and please, please be exploding. <laughs> Just granules flying everywhere. <laughs> and so taking us back to earlier in the episode, we need to recall that steroids block the release of cytokines that support eosinophil development in the bone marrow, specifically IL-5 and GMCSF. And it turns out that these cytokines also promote eosinophil survival, basically by inhibiting apoptosis. So when IL-5 and GMCSF are around, eosinophils are less likely to, to die. And when they're not around, they're more likely to die. They're going to have their apoptosis is disinhibited. And so you'd expect that since steroids inhibit those cytokines, they should shorten eosinophil lifespan and sort of kind of passively induce, their absence should passively induce apoptosis. And accelerated cell death is exactly what happens when eosinophils are exposed to steroids. So I guess exploding is probably the the wrong word, but accelerating the death of and shortening the lifespan of eosinophils in the body seems to be a you know an, another kind of major effect that steroids have on eosinophils. All right, fine. So it won't be the exploding eosinophils. Maybe our band name should just be like the bands. Bandemia? Bandemia would work. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, Avi, the, um, other than learning that it's clearly explosion and nothing else, uh, is there anything else you want to share with us uh, about eosinophils and, and the connection with steroids? Yeah. So, I actually have a couple of cool clinical correlates to bring up to kind of round out the discussion. And the first is the, the mechanism of peripheral eosinophilia that can accompany adrenal insufficiency. And so, adrenal insufficiency is one of the known causes of peripheral eosinophilia. And it actually makes perfect sense that adrenal insufficiency would be associated with eosinophilia because it's a state of deficiency of endogenous corticosteroids. The body isn't making enough of them. So the equilibrium of eosinophils and endogenous corticosteroids is sort of disrupted and cell levels rise in the blood. And the clinical problem solvers did a great job explaining this correlation in one of their earlier episodes. And so I wanted to, to credit them for really explaining that nicely. The second correlate is around the group of diseases known as the hyper-eosinophilic syndromes. And these are defined as blood eosinophil counts greater than 1,500. And eosinophil and also are associated with eosinophil-related clinical manifestations. And it's kind of a diverse, heterogeneous group of disorders, all united with the high blood eosinophil count being the pathognomonic and pathologic factors. And so the cornerstone of initial therapy for these disorders generally involves corticosteroids because they're so good at redistributing, decreasing production, and destroying eosinophils, all the mechanisms that we've just been learning about. But up to 15% of patients are actually steroid non-responders, which I was really kind of surprised to learn. And there are people who are steroid non-responders, essentially their blood eosinophil counts and their symptoms don't get better despite exposure to steroids. And why would that be? And you know, not much is known about this, but there is some preliminary in vitro data that suggests that perhaps overexpression of IL-5 in such patients may contribute to why they don't respond to corticosteroids. And the steroids just aren't as good at shutting off the eosinophils because there's just too much IL-5 around. Again, this is really preliminary. Um, the study that I'm quoting was just from a couple of years ago. So I think it's this was, an, this was an association that has been noted even I think as far back as the late 80s, but the mechanisms are still being worked out. Whoa, that's still really cool. All right, can you give us your take home points? Absolutely. So blood eosinophil counts drop within four hours of exposure to steroids. And honestly, that was far sooner than I kind of had expected. 
And there are probably three main reasons, decreased production, redistribution, and accelerated cell death or destruction. So steroids inhibit the cytokines GMCSF and IL-5, both their release and their cellular effects. And this contributes to decreased eosinophil production and accelerated cell death. There's also redistribution to lymphoid organs, which may relate to steroids and their effects on CXCR4. And the peripheral eosinophilia of adrenal insufficiency relates to the reduced production of endogenous corticosteroids and decreased activity of all of the mechanisms that we've been learning about today. Amazing. Okay. That wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at curiousclinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, you can visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. <laughs>